Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Crash Couch. I'm your host, Chris, and I have Lou and Eric with me tonight. Hello. Hey. So before we get into the discussion of this week's episode, I want to talk about some feedback that we got. Um, I asked a question on our Crash Couch Twitter today. I said, what is your favorite thing about The Expanse? And if you're crew on the show, what is your favorite part about working on it? We got a lot of responses, way more than I actually anticipated. Um, so we can't read them all, but I do want to just go through the list now and um, pick out a few that really uh, stuck out to me. Rob says that he loves that it's realistic. There's no transporters, time travel, etc. I think we can all attest to that. Kittle says, attention to space detail. Man, picking that one thing is really hard. Robin says that each character is unique and has a story of their own, even when they are part of the bigger story. Marcus says it's got to be the interaction of the crew of the Rossi, the nucleus around which events are built. Kayla Monroe, who is a visual effects uh, producer on The Expanse, gave two answers. She said the cliche answer is the people that she gets to work with, but the cool answer is probably getting to be on the physical sets. They're so awesome. Nick Farmer, who is the um, creator of the Belter language, says the favorite part about working on the show is immersing himself in the thought experiment that is Belter culture. That is a really fascinating. I think we're going to have to have him on the uh, podcast at some point. Andrew Rutilio, who plays Diogo, said craft services hands down. Ghost of May West said every one of the characters is neither all good or all bad. There are shades of moral gray and it's fascinating. Bob Monroe, who is a visual effects supervisor on the show, says, pushes me every day. I've been in the biz 30 years, never had to beat one point like this before, and I love the fan reaction. Kevin says, the show respects the audience's intelligence, and the book series has amazing world building. Chris says, everything. The Expanse also means date night, so there's that. And last but not least, Dominique Tipper, who plays Naomi, said that her favorite part of working on The Expanse is the cast and crew, the relevance of the world and storylines in relation to our current situation, shooting in Toronto, and of course, the fandom. How nice of her. We love you too, Dominique. So that is only some of the tweets that we got in response to that uh, question. So thank you to everybody that reached out. I wish we had time to read them all, but... um Again, we really appreciate you guys listening to us, uh, interacting with us. That really is what makes uh, this po- doing this podcast fun. So um, we'll probably be doing that regularly. So if I didn't read it this time, uh, just watch out. And uh, maybe next time uh, I'll pick your tweet to read out on the air. Um, well, I was just curious as to what, like, just a short answer, what you, how you would have answered that question. Uh, Lou, I'm going to put you on the spot and say you go first. Wow. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that what I like the best about the series in both the books and in the um, in the TV show is that the the story is just first and foremost. And then the fact that the TV show is keeping us guessing because they're changing up just enough to make me, okay, think what happened in the book to be this, and it just keeps it fresh. It really does. I, I like the way they're telling the story both in the books and in the TV show. Um, I okay. Just to throw in here, I like the fact that the characters have depth, and they're defined by the decisions they make and the actions that they take. And, and the decisions are... Uh, 
sometimes they're morally ambiguous and sometimes they're, they're just morally difficult. Um, there's no right mm-hmm. answer. And you, you see that playing out on a larger scale too. Um, the belters, uh, there, there are some issues and concerns that they have that are very legitimate and that need to be addressed. Uh, Mars, they're not the bad guys. Earth, they're not the bad guys. And yet some of them are in each one of mm-hmm. those three groups. And so I, I love the fact that we have realistic people making realistic decisions, tough decisions. And as we see in today's uh, episode, decisions that seem like the right decisions for the right reason and end up going wrongly. Yeah. I would say that my favorite part of the show, and there's so much, but I really like the fact that it's not overly complicated science fiction. Um, as people said, when they tweeted to us, it feels realistic yeah. and you can actually, you, you may not be able to physically be able to say, yeah, there's a protomolecule out there um, or something like that. But at least like the space travel is is realistic. The stuff that happens both in politics is realistic and also just on each individual location. Um, it's real world problems set in space almost. And I feel like that's kind of a good transition to um you know, the, the the main talking point of this episode, at least in my opinion, which is the conversation between um, Earth and Mars and how Bobby is put in the middle of it. So I guess I, I kind of want to start off and see, cause, you know, we've, we've been talking about now um, for a while now, just the rising tensions between Earth and Mars. And, you know, as as book readers, maybe you guys can correct me on this, but I feel like there's been at times they've gone out of their way to show that tension and um, to really emphasize it Mm -hmm. and show that, hey, there's not really a good side and there's not really a bad side here. And each, each faction is really trying to do what they feel is best for their, you know, their world. Um, and I, I think we really see that come to a head in this episode as they have their conversations and, um, really have that, have that interaction because it's really the first time that we get to see it on screen. Right. Well, it's the first time we see them, as you said, face to face. And it's difficult because while you want to root for earth and you want to root for Mars. You got a room full of politicians and it's always hard to root for the politicians. So it's, um, it's a very interesting dynamic and an interesting scene. I have to say, I'm a little disappointed that the Bobby acquiesced in the end, but, uh, it was, I think it was cool to see them actually come like literally come to the table and be in the same room doing this as opposed to communicating, from a, a vast distance, it, it gave a certain, a certain intimacy mm. and mm. A, a certain more tangible tension to what was going on, I think. Yeah. And you, and you really got to see that tension 
aside from just like hearing reactions and um you know hearing earth or mars say bad things about the other you actually get to see it in some of the characters faces and their emotions and the way they react and the way they um interact with each other and um and you can never do yeah. that from earth to mars uh over you know communication relays because the delay would just make right it would kill the conversation yeah. yep and it still showed Earth as being, you know, in power because, hey, you know, come to our place and have right. the conversation so we can make you feel bad about being on Earth and, you know, getting that environment so you got to relive this under 1G instead of under the, you know, lighter gravity they have on Mars and, you know, the effects it had on the, on the people they brought down. So, you know, that all played into the whole negotiation tactics of how we're going to talk about this. Right, now. yeah. It's, it's kind of like when, when you get these, you know, big conferences together where, you know, they're going to argue about the, um, you know, shape of the table and where who's going to sit. It's all that kind of same, you know, showmanship in, 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 in skills and negotiating. And it's playing out in here on, you know, even to the fact of, you know, okay, look strong. Don't look weak as we get off this ship before we, you know, go into our compound and, you know. Right. It, it, was, it was really interesting the way they did that. Yeah, it, yeah, it demonstrated that there's still a lot of political posturing, uh, which is, again, it, it's realistic. It, it's showing what it would really be like in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked. I mean, I, I don't know if I liked this, but I, I like the the presentation of, like I said before, how you don't really get an idea of what of who to side with. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm really not a fan of Mars because they're just acting like pricks. And, you know, I, I, I'm not a, a fan of that, especially being someone who is at, at least a little bit educated on in politics um, in our world. But then I saw the way that Earth and some of their leadership acted. And I'm just like, this is real world politics mm-hmm. in space right now. It's, yep. it's, I mean, it's, I, that's why I think this show is so relevant is because it, while we may not have this, the same type of things going on in our world, um, right now as in the expanse, there, there's still that political tension, especially between our two political parties in this country and even, um, between the United States and other countries. Well, so. And what you're talking about there, you know, you, you don't care for Mars because of, of all the, the, the politics and all that. And, and then yet you see it from, uh, from Earth too. Keep in mind exactly. what you've been seeing so far from Mars has been the politicians and the, uh, the upper military ranks. You're not really seeing Martians. Like you're, you're not exactly not just the average Joe on the street. So you're only getting exposed to those characters who, aren't of, of very savory uh, moral value. If, if you saw the same picture of earthers, you'd feel that way toward earth. Yep. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Again, it goes back to the uh, who's really the bad guy and who's really the good guy. And the answer is nobody's really the bad guy and nobody's really the good guy. Everybody is the selfish guy. Yeah. And it's thus like, is the nature it's like of politics. When- it's like when we were uh, going back in season one talking about uh, Holden and 
you know, he released that message about the cant and people interpreted that different ways. And, you know, we're supposed to think of Holden as the hero. But then as we as we get further into the season and even the the start of season two, we see that maybe his actions were a little premature and he did some things without really knowing the full story. And that right. that painted him not necessarily as a bad guy, but it, it it kind of took away that hero aspect that we're supposed to be feeling for him. So right. that's one thing I really like about the show is that all of the characters, it's not like a good versus evil sci-fi story like we see. It's really about the struggle of different factions depending on where you grew up and where you were born. If you were born in space, if you're born on Earth, if you were on Mars, it's it's really it's really quite fascinating to see. Yeah. Lou, did you have any particular thoughts on on the way all of the political stuff was playing out? Um, you know, I mean, typically I like political stuff in in most things that I watch, and this is an example of that, probably at a very high level because they are playing the long game as far as how this is playing out. But I'm having a hard time rationalizing some of the the nuances of the political structure with what I've read. Because they're handling things a lot differently um, in what we've seen on TV versus what we're reading in the books. Hmm. And Without, it's kind of throwing me off a little bit. You know, it's. Yeah. They're, they're getting to, like we said, like last week and the week before, they're getting to the same place, but it's just taking a different route to get there. And it's not mm-hmm. necessarily bad. No. It's just not what we. It, it's easy to go in and expect certain things. When you know what you're going to see, you're just, you're going to see it visually now instead of textually. Except now, yeah. like Lou said, our expectations are not what we're actually getting. Not that that's a problem, but it is disorienting. Mm-hmm. It's temporarily disorienting. Yeah. Do you guys, would you guys uh, prefer, I mean, because we've, kind of been having this a lot this season where things are changing from what you say are in the books yeah and not not changing the story but changing you know again how we get there right. and some of the people that are involved um would you say that it's you would prefer to see what they're doing now or um a more dedicated to the story the way it played out in the book um, uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Eric. I, I would have to say that, I mean, if you look back at recent episodes of the crash couch, when this has come up, uh, at least for me personally, I always, it feels weird at first, but then as I look at whatever the particular scene is, I end up saying, you know, that was probably the best decision for television. So mm-hmm. I think that while it's a little bit disorienting, I'm okay with it. I'm getting used to the disorientation and I'm starting to let go of my expectations a little bit more. And I think that the way they're handling it is probably best. And the few instances, and I can't even think of a particular one off the top of my head at the moment, but I do know there are one or two times where I, I still kind of held out a little bit and I'm still like, well, I can understand why they did it, but I'm not, I'm still not sure it's the best decision. Even then they've made the correct decision enough times that I'm willing to let 
those one or two instances go under the premise that I'm not a television writer. And I don't know that my way of doing it differently necessarily would have actually been better. It just would have been different. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I would have to say that if, if I had the power to get them to adhere more closely to the book or do it the way they've done it, I would probably say to do it the way they've done it. I, I think that it's worked out better for the pacing of television and for the visual aspect of storytelling that you cannot get in a book. I think that there are times where if they stuck with the book, it would hamper the television series a little bit with the the political perspectives, uh, the, the presentation of the political perspectives, as well as I think there were some things in the book that, uh, especially the second book, I wasn't a, a, as big a fan of the second book as I was all of the other books. I think that the pacing for things in the second book book I like better seeing on TV in, in the introduction of uh oh uh, what's the scientist's name Prax Prax I kept saying Pax and I'm like no I'm saying Pax because the Pax East conference was was <laughs> like 2 weeks ago um yeah I I kind of you see sometimes for me it's easier if I can see a character and I can see them interacting with other people they become more interesting to me because there's a truth to the fact that a lot of communication is through body language. And uh, there's a truth that 80% of communication is through body language. At least if you look at um, intentions, motivations, mood, tone, um, the the priorities of of what a person wants, what they're trying to get out of a situation, a lot of that is conveyed through body language. Sometimes in the in the entire absence of dialogue, and that's something that you can't see in a book. At best, you could have it described, and if you have a really talented author, they describe it well. Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that with television, they're able to utilize that for more storytelling, and it can make things more concise. And keep the pace moving a little more steadily. That is a really good way to put it. (laughs) Well, thank you. I think the more sleep deprived I am, the more sense I make. Really? Uh, No, I don't know. Um, I I agree with most of what you said, Eric. I, I, I really think they're making the best decisions for television possible. Um, it's still a little bit disconcerting to me when they're changing things enough that I'm confused in the story about what happened where and how things got to where they were in the book versus what we're seeing. Um, and maybe that's just because I'm so in love with the books that I'm, I'm trying to, okay, how are they getting there? What do they change? You know, what did they change on me here that is going to make me think about the story differently? And, right. and how does that affect the overall story when you come right down to it? So far, there's only one thing in this current season that's making me kind of question where they're going with it. Um, but it's not a, well, I shouldn't say it's not a big thing because it's the main part of the story. It's the main, it's the main thrust of the, of the second book, but um, I, I'm sure it's going to be fine. It's just, I'm a little bit thrown off by where they're going. Hmm. Yeah. It, it can be difficult to stop looking at the show through the, the lens of the book. Mm-hmm. 
In, in, yeah. in partially because I just finished reading the second book again. So, well, and to be honest, that probably makes it a lot more difficult for you. I think if I did the yeah. same thing, I would probably have a harder time with it. Yep. Yeah. So to kind of get off the the political perspective of everything, uh, we really didn't see that much of um, Holden and the rest of the crew, which kind of threw me off a little. I mean, we saw a little bit, but um, because they're they're getting ready to really go to Ganymede Station and see what that that's all about. Which so I think this the next episode is probably going to be one of the bigger ones of the season. Um, so, but I'm curious, what, what did you guys think of, of that development? Again, I'm, I, I'm trying really hard to find a specific plot point to talk about, but again, I, I feel like at least with that, um, with that storyline, it's more set up than anything. With, with them say, trying to get another enemy. one of those cases where they're putting the pieces into place for the next episode. Yeah. Right. Um, they have to get the crew to, Ganymede, um, they're using this other ship to do it. It's that wasn't the in the same... book, was it, Lou? What's that? That The whole thing about them kind of hijack, hijacking that ship, that wasn't in the book, was it? Well, that was the thing. It, it, it's, it's the same ship, same ship name they used. It was not a hijacking, <laughs> um, at least that I remember. Right. It was a ship that the OPA had that had a captain, and, and Naomi assumed the captain role on the ship and James was just another crew member um, and it played out very similarly um, even right down to the whole thing of um, you know the guys in the dock um, kind of shaking them down for you know most of what their their uh, haul was to make some money for themselves and they stood up to him and you know there was a whole the same thing happened just happened differently Um they they certainly didn't take the ship from somebody who was in the middle of a route and and assume their role uh, to get the Ganymede. That was it was a more well planned out thing in the book. I thought that I want to say was still Fred Johnson pulling the strings for that. Um, hmm. Where where he set that up, it was the OPA ship. Um, yes, yeah, so the whole thing played out differently, and that's one of the things that played out differently. Is still getting the same thing done. Um, you know, Alex is still in the Rosie, he's still kind of waiting off in the wings to come in and help when he needed. That was all part of the, it was all in the book that way. Um, just a little bit different when they got there. Hmm. See, I'll, I'll, I'll admit I was really up on first watch and I'm hoping like most of my, um, not necessarily criticisms, but little nitpicks with the show, I, ho- I hope this changes during my live uh, viewing. I was a little confused at first about the way they were doing the whole hijacking of the of the ship thing. Um, I'm not sure that I saw a uh, a point to it. Um, there was the point where um, when they get to the, the the station and or the docks, I think it is, and um, those people go onto the ship and there ends up being a firefight. Um, and that one person, that one guy dies, which I'm not supposed to, I'm not sure if we're supposed to feel for him, even though the, the, the lady survives and the, and he dies. Um, I kind of felt for him. Yeah. I mean, I did, but 
it, it was one of those things where really cold blooded. I mean, I know. I didn't feel for the well, guy. hey, coming from the guy who likes to space people. Hey, hey, <laughs> I do it to be efficient. Listen, I mean, we didn't know much about the guy. We didn't have a strong connection to him, but we at least feel, you know, he was. We know he had a history, mm-hmm. and we know that the two crew members valued each other, and yeah. we know that what happened to him wasn't fair, and that for oh, him yeah. to lose his right. life over something like that was tragic, unfair. And frankly, that it wouldn't have happened if Holden hadn't set that whole thing up in the first place. So, I mean, yeah. it's more a commentary on Holden, but it's the tragedy of the situation that makes it so. And the reason it's tragic is because this guy didn't need to lose his life. Yeah. And yet he did. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a whole sequence in the book that, that shows some progression in the Holden character. And I think that's what they're kind of getting at here. It's another one of the stepping stones in, in the story that's helping us see the character development of James Holden. Yeah. That's actually what I was going to bring up Lou. So it's like you're reading my mind or something. Um, I thought, I remember when I was watching this, I thought to myself, now we see Holden who is, is kind of becoming a little bit stronger and more, um, less self-reserved than he was before recall from, I think it was season one when uh, he couldn't even fire a gun and where he, he did fire at that one guy, but he purposely missed. Right. Mm. And, and Miller kind of called him out for it. Um, we have that to the, to the guy that just storms in and starts shooting people. And it's really a sign of, you know, you, you kind of have to overcome not, not not only your own fears, but your own reservations when it comes to survival. That That's what I really took from the scene. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't mean to sound like I was being cold about not feeling for the other guy, but <laughs> it's just it's just not what I was focusing on. Like I, I, I felt for the lady who was crying and was telling um, I think it was Holden and Amos to get off her ship. But that that's not what I was putting my focus on with the um, episode. I was focusing more on Holden and I'm like, wow, that's some pretty major character development for him. Yeah. And again, I'm not sure where they're going with that because that whole sequence was not part of the book. Mm-hmm. You know, no, nobody died. Those two characters did not exist in the role of the book. And uh, you know, I, I assume it's this character development we're supposed to be looking at, but you know, to me it's like, okay, well, I don't know where that was going, but yeah, we'll see where we go next episode. Because mm-hmm. this was just about getting, um, you know, Holden and crew on Ganymede without them telegraphing the fact that hey, it's us and the Rossi, you know, because the Rossi's not there. It's not, you know, they wanted to slip in under the cover of of you know darkness, basically, and see what's going on on Ganymede Station without anybody really knowing they're there. Yeah. So to kind of, I guess, close out um, this episode, is there anything else that you know, maybe like little instances that you guys like from this or? Um, you know, maybe smaller plot points or uh, character moments. I, I have a few, but 
I, I, I like the first. I like Prax. I think his character is coming along nicely. Um, there's some things coming up, which I hope they do the same way they did in the book because they're going to be fun. Um, with Prax. Yeah. And his interaction with Amos. <laughs> I think it's going to be a lot of fun <laughs> if they do this the same way. Um, but yeah, I thought his his character has been great so far. Yeah, I would agree Eric, with that. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. I, I like Prax so far. Yeah, I, I remember talking about how I was a little concerned that they, there would be a, a, a hole missing after Miller left. And while I don't think Prax offers that same kind of um, feeling that Miller gave to the crew uh, or to the show in general, I think Prax, and especially the, the guy that plays him, is really quickly becoming one of my not favorites, but one of the, one of the ones I pay attention to more. And one of the ones I'm more inclined to be interested in, um, their character development. So I, I definitely agree with you both there. There were also a few lines, um, during the political meetings, uh, and that was it Avasarla or Avasarala, because I know that there was one pronunciation in the book and then there was a different one in the show. Uh, it's Avasarala in the TV show, right? Yes. Yeah, it's okay. Avasarala in the book, but yeah. Avasarala's okay. grown on me, I guess. Yeah. Um, she, I, I'm looking back, I'm really glad they introduced her in season one instead of waiting for the start of book two to really get into her story because now, whereas before, I remember saying she was kind of in the, in the backstory. I'm glad that they um, are kind of focusing more on her now, um, and it's not just because of her language. <laughs> but uh, I, I am I very love... happy to have kept her language. Yes, it's, it's not as aggressive as it is in the book, but they've kept her pretty true to form, wouldn't you say, Eric? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean, uh, even just down to the that that one line when they're talking with. Uh, Bobby when she called her back in and the guy's like, where are you going with this? And she's like, wherever I got damn well, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that was awesome. Okay. Yeah. It was good. There's a reason that we've said all along that uh, Lou, when you and I were reading the books, we always saw this actress as, yeah, as Avasarala. Like this was the only person we ever envisioned in this role. Um, and this is why it's because she delivers this role flawlessly. And I'm so glad that the writers, kept that through into the television series. I mean, if there's one, if, if they said, we're going to change everything about the show, except one thing. And you can pick what the one thing is. It's her period. Yeah. Like that's just, it's flawless. Yeah. I, I really, really like the fact that, um, they've given her more, uh, more exposure, I guess. And really have, have kind of, made that storyline more central. And I know it's based on a book, so it's, it's going to happen, but um, they're not just putting it in the backstory of the TV show and keeping it and keeping the action scenes and like the, 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 the four or five crew members, um, the main focus. Like, I feel like everybody gets a fair chance 
uh, I, I also liked when I, I can't remember the line. I just know it involved the F word when, um, she's talking to Bobby and the officer comes behind her and is, says something and she cusses him out. It's just wonderful. And you know, we get, uh, since we get the press screenings, we get, um, everything is uncensored. So on, and on the uh, actual airing, it's, it has to be censored or at least some of the times. So. I just I just think that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and now I kind of wish they would have did that in season one too, but I guess oh well. It's an it's a nice surprise for people that have stuck stuck with the show. Definitely. And I'm I'm surprised too um, that we didn't mention that the seat the show got renewed for season three. Yes, not Which surprisingly are, that. That also means that the crash couch is renewed for another series. So thanks, sci-fi. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Next oh, time we they, need to negotiate a salary increase, I think. I was going to say, yeah. I'm going to make more money next time. Yeah. 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 I want so. double. <laughs> All right. Well, do you guys have any more things you want to talk about or any last words? Um, no, I, I think that this was another one of those episodes where it was a lot of, um, putting pieces into the right places. Um, I, I, I think it was a lot of setup, but I think it was done well and it kept the story moving with, with setup episodes, you run into a risk of the pacing, dragging everything to a crawl mm-hmm. and they didn't do that. Yes. There was nothing that was like super epic in this episode, but that's okay. Cause we just had a bunch of that stuff. Let's shuffle the pieces around to where they need to be to keep moving along to get to the next big epic thing. I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, and as a shuffling the pieces around episode, this is great. Mm-hmm. It did well. Yep. I, I, I think that like season one, I think we're going to get something huge in the season two, uh, season two finale. Yeah. I don't want any spoilers, but I just, I just have a feeling. So I'm, I'm getting myself, uh, amped up and ready to go. All right. So before I do the, uh, closing, I want, we did get a tweet, uh, in the middle of this recording from Dustin, who is a sound, uh, person on the show. He says his, um, favorite part about working on it. Uh, is he feels like the show champions so much that he believes in, namely diversity, inclusion, and science. Fan first, crew second. Nice. That that's fat. That's crazy to me. And I just I I love the fact that the people on the that work on this show are not only you know there for their job, but they're fans of the content. I just I think mm. that makes working um on something so much better, and it, it makes the the content that actually comes out of it. Uh, really, a, a step up in quality, just because we, you know that these people are fans of the show or fans of the books, and it just—it's nice because they put their heart and soul into it. Right? They're not just phoning it in. It's not just a job to them. They are—they care about it just like we do. And anytime you get a, people working on a franchise and they look at it from that perspective, that is exactly what we as fans want to hear. Exactly. All right, so uh, this was our conversation on the Weeping Somnambulist. Next time, we're going to be talking about Cascade. 
Yeah. I, I, uh oh. I feel like that's a good sign. <laughs> no, I think so too. I, I mean, you know, you know, we're, we're getting towards the end of the season here, right? We got four more episodes after after this one we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cascade is you know things moving forward and moving along, so that could be a good thing for the story. Yep. Yeah, looking forward to talking about it. So in the meantime, you can send us uh, your feedback at crashcouch at randomchatter.com. That email goes to the three of us, so we will definitely see it. You can also find us on our social media at uh, facebook.com slash randomchatternetwork. We have our Twitter. It's at crashcouch. I do a live tweet every Wednesday of The Expanse as it airs, so join us in for that. It's a loads of fun. Definitely the highlight of my week. We also have the network Twitter at randomchatter. My Twitter is at the Curse of Chris. Eric, what is your Twitter? Mine is at Eric Blythe. That's E R I K B L Y T H E. And Lou? Yeah, mine is at Lou Secchi. That's L O U S E C K I. You can find all of our shows at randomchatter.com. If you like what we do here, um, Jay and Josh do uh, TV recap episodes of um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well as The Flash and Arrow, so check those out. We have our, you know, our Star Wars content, our entertainment content. So if you're listening to this show, you're probably going to enjoy some of the other stuff we have. Uh, you can find it, again, all at randomchatter.com. Spread the word about the show. Leave us reviews on iTunes whenever we get the feed. Eric, any any update on that? Um, <laughs> I've been out of wow, town for the last under two the weeks. Pretty hard there. So yeah, uh, I'll get on it. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Back up. Yeah, I heard it again. <laughs> Jeez. Oh man. So yeah, we will have an iTunes feed um, hopefully soon. So in the meantime, just um, leave us reviews on the Random Chatter Network feed. Tell your friends about us. Uh, and if you're interested in supporting the network on Patreon, you can find more information about that at patreon.com slash random chatter. Finally, the music you hear in this podcast is Welcome to the End by Cell Dweller. Go support Cell Dweller and all of the stuff that Clayton does. All right, guys. Well, I think that's it. Any last words? No. Looking forward to the next episode. Yes. Yep. All right. So we'll be we will be back next week same time, same place. So until then, take care everyone.